Welcome to The Bounce, sports talk with a spin, a new podcast from your public studios. This is the podcast where sports becomes eclectic. We talk about everything from fascinating athletes you've never heard of to taking a deep dive into the sports issues that don't always make the news. So whether you're an athlete, a fan, or just want to know more about sports, The Bounce has got you covered. Everyone has bad memories of high school gym class. From being picked last for a team to stinky locker rooms and gross showers. For me, the worst thing about gym was the dreaded gym suit. A green polyester one-piece nightmare of a garment that chafed, pinched, itched, and refused to allow for any unencumbered movement. I, along with my women classmates in the 1970s, endured four long years of being prisoners to the gym suit. How I envied the boys who were able to wear comfortable cotton t-shirts and shorts, not to mention engage in real sports, while we girls were limited to gymnastics and square dancing. Well, a lot has changed since my gym suit trauma. Ever since women's soccer superstar Brandi Chastain flashed her sports bra to the world in 1999, Americans and people around the globe have been obsessed with women's sports clothing. From beach volleyball athletes who wear bikinis to gymnasts who wear skin-tight leotards festooned with sparkles. But have we really, to quote another 70s phrase, come a long way, baby, in how we view women's sports clothing and thus women's bodies in those clothes? My guest is University of Texas professor Mary Bach. Mary will help walk us through what some are calling the hypersexualization of women athletes by way of their clothing. Mary Bach, welcome to The Bounce. So happy to be here. All right, here we go, Mary, right out, of, right out of the box. How the hell did we get from the dreaded gym suit to the sports bra? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue with you a little bit on whether or All not right. we have like come from a particular gym suit thing to the hypersexualization of the uniforms because people have been obsessed with what women wear when they play sports from the get-go. <laughs> It goes way before the 70s, way before the gym suit, way before the sports bra. People were obsessed with what Babe Diedrichsen wore. And you know, Babe Diedrichsen, probably one of the greatest athletes of all time. Many of my students don't know who she was. Okay, you have to tell some of our listeners, I know who the babe (laughs) is. I also want to just, can we just go back? I'm pretty sure you wore a gym suit. What color was yours? It was navy blue, mm-hmm. yep. and it was, uh, to be honest, it was the least of my concerns. I was not good in gym. I was not good in sports. Um, the communal showers were creepier and worse than the gym suit, and the gym suit stank. Yes, um, yes. Yeah, but here's the difference, okay, is the gym suits are worn while women are participating in sports in school, not for television. The reason for, in many ways, the hypersexualization of sports at the commercial level is, is commercialism and the, the fact that money can be made off of women's bodies. Girls can wear gym suits in high school because people aren't making money off of their bodies. As soon as they are in media in a way that can sell commercials, whether it's for the Olympics or even for uh, the higher end track 
um, swimming and other kinds of sports for high schools and college, then you start to get that hypersexualization again because women are valued for their looks. Well, let's go back to Babe Didrikson. I interrupted you. Tell tell our <laughs> listeners who Babe was, what she was wearing, <laughs> and why that caused a kerfuffle. Well, Babe wore clothing that was appropriate for the, the sport when she was playing softball. Um, when she started playing golf, she had to make her own clothes. And, and this was 1920s, 1930s? 30s. Mm-hmm. The 30s, 1930s into the 40s. Women's sports were strong during World War II because men were fighting. And so people who were desperate to watch any kind of sports would watch women's sports. Um, and Babe Diedrichson, of course, was, was just outstanding in the 30s and into the 40s. But people um, criticized what she wore. She was inadequately feminine. There were all sorts of rumors about her sexuality because she was very good at sports. One of the ways that she coped with this, uh, particularly as she moved into golf, was to make her own clothing uh, that uh, looked more feminine and tried to kind of push off some of this criticism that um, she wasn't feminine enough, she wasn't ladylike enough. It's all part of regulation of the female body. So was was uh, Babe then making like the golf skirt? Did, did women play, like before that, were women playing in... Um, knickers what or were they what what, what was a they golf were, uniform then they weren't playing oh they just weren't playing period I mean, there were just very few women playing um you know babe was good at whatever she picked up but there there wasn't a um women's uh, uniform the way that to my knowledge there was not a women's uniform for for golf she came under fire because she got media attention um, and, and she got really good at it and then had to kind of change her outfits. There, there was regulation of women's um, clothing in, in tennis, um, you know, going all the way back. Oh, yeah. But, Teddy, Teddy Tingling, Teddy yeah. ting, ting, Tingling, Tinlin, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Teddy Dingling. I remember yeah. I remember this because I played tennis in the 1970s and I went to tennis camp. Okay, don't hate me. Don't hate me, listeners. I did go to tennis camp. I loved it. But my mom sent me off with these like Chrissy Everett inspired tennis dresses that mm-hmm. like barely covered my lady parts, but to kind of, for modesty's sake, you would wear these special like tennis underwear that sometimes had ruffles on it. And I just like hated it. It was like, why can't I just wear shorts? Why do I have to wear this? Um, so is this what you're referring to about the sexualization of women's tennis uniforms? Well, what I'm referring to is, is the regulation of women's bodies for as far back as history goes. And uh, the, the difference between the, that gym uniform that we both hated and what goes on when people become, on, when, when women's sports are in te- on television or in other forms of visual media, women are sexualized because that's what sells. That is what sells. And women, beautiful women have been used to sell products and gather an audience for as long as, um, as media has existed. So fast forwarding now to, to our present-ish day, there's been a lot of pushback. And we're, we're seeing this, uh, like the most, I guess, prominent example is the Norwegian women's handball team mm-hmm. that said, you know what, we are just not comfortable 
wearing uh, basically like pasties and um, little bikini bottoms to perform our sport. And we want, we want the freedom to wear something that is more sports appropriate. And as my understanding, initially their governing body said, nope, this is what you have to wear. And the media outcry was so intense that they finally relented. Mm -hmm. um, as, as I understand it, if, if I remember right, they protested essentially by wearing something that was more comfortable. And then they were fined. They my, were fi that's am, right. Am they I getting fined. some of my, there's so many cases, I might be getting some of my cases um, confused, but I think that they were fined. They were fined. For not wearing yeah. something short enough. Uh, and then the media pushed back, um, then eventually caused their governing body to relent. Yeah, I mean, this is like pretty much an, an ex extreme example, but like, I'm very fortunate, you know, when I was a cyclist, and even to this day, the men and women wear exactly the same uniform. Um, oftentimes, you know, <laughs> when you want to buy women's, um, like, not racing uniforms, they're in, like, I find it hard to find just like a white jersey, something simple. It's always still very feminized. You know, it's got like mm -hmm. flowers or bumblebees on it. And, you know, I bought my helmet on sale. It's a women's helmet. It's pink. And I'm like, really? I'm 63 years old. You know, uh, like, do I need a pink leave helmet? Does anybody need alone. a pink helmet? Yeah. yeah leave Does me anybody need a pink alone. helmet? Well, you know, I just, I want to take you back, you know, to uh, when humans invented agriculture. And, 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 Stay with me here. Okay, I'm with you, Mary. <laughs> because when humans invent the the theory behind why women need feminism, the the theory behind the the hierarchy that has been passed along generation for generation for thousands of years goes all the way back to when humans invented agriculture. Because when humans invented agriculture and we stood still, we really established the concept of ownership and working the land. So we needed to own land and then we needed to staff it. And women served both purposes. Women could help staff it, but then women could also make the people who were gonna staff it. So ownership, when you owned land, you also owned women. Mm. Mm. And owning women means to control their bodies. So then who becomes the valuable woman? The one who looks nubile, the one who be looks like she could bear children. And so the traditional attractive woman is young enough to have children and has the hip to waist ratio and the breasts to bear children. And this goes on for millennia and millennia and builds and builds and builds. And society becomes ingrained in the way people think about women. It becomes codified in religious texts. It becomes codified in the way we treat society, you know, women in society. And we have a hierarchy. And who is controlled? And women? what are they valued Would that be for? women? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's, why do we control women's bodies? My, my students have often asked me, you know, where does this come from? And they're like, well, the invention of agriculture, it really goes way that, that far back. But then women become something that is to be controlled and to be traded and to be owned. And then, of course, owning a particular kind of woman becomes part of an economic benefit. And when you have economic benefits, you have these very, very stringent 
hierarchies of, of who is valued in society and for what. Wait, are you and, saying that due to agriculture, I was valued <laughs> wearing my green polyester gym suit? <laughs> what I, happened in the middle? <laughs> you, you weren't wearing... I'm saying that women are valued for their looks because of traditions that date back all the way millennia in human development. No, I, 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 I'm, te I'm teasing you. The, the gym suits really, I felt like they, um, you know, compared to what women athletes wear now, really desexualized us. Like I didn't feel, I didn't feel good. Didn't feel good wearing it, even though probably in a weird sense, it was meant to accentuate our hips because it was gathered at the waist and then there were bloomers on, on the bottom and it was quite tight at the chest because I was too cheap. You could buy new ones each year as you grew, but I was yeah. too cheap to do that. So that by the time I was a senior in high school, I could barely stand up in my gym suit because it was too small for me, mm. but I wasn't gonna buy a new one. And I why see. did the guys get to wear the t-shirts and the shorts? That it, it Because their bodies don't have to be controlled. Our bodies have to be controlled. Women's bodies are controlled because there's this theory, this, this idea that just seeing a woman's whatever in a particular society, you know, it used to be, you know, in some societies back then, it was, you know, seeing a woman's ankle was a turn on, seeing a woman's decolletage is a turn on, seeing a woman's shoulder was a turn on. It was important to mark us as female because it's very important when you have a strong social, social hierarchy to make sure where everybody is on that hierarchy. We must be marked. So it was important for us to be appear feminine enough in those gym outfits, but nobody cared if we were comfortable. As long as we appeared acceptable and mm. we were marked as feminine. Mm. Welcome back to The Bounce and our conversation about gym suits, sports bras, and the women athletes who wear them. Let's sort of go back to that intersection of sexuality and performance and and comfort and functionality in women's women's uh, sports uniforms and i'm going to go back in the time machine a little bit more to the 1980s like my all-time favorite decade um and let's or the, the 90s the 80s wait it was the 80s 1988 let's talk about my girl flojo remember what happened when flojo decided that she was going to jazz up the uniform and she showed up on the line with the, not just the long nails, but also she added one long, um, she changed her uniform. And I had the opportunity actually to interview uh, Flojo in the 1990s. And I asked her about that. And she's like, the people who gave me the hardest time about that were not the men, it was my fellow competitors. And I found that really, really telling that, you know, women need to support each other. Yeah, people are like, you know, she said the, her competitors were like, what's Flojo trying to prove? Why, is she, why does she have to be different from us? Why does she always have to show off and, and be different? Is that, a, is that a feminine or a feminist or a woman-oriented um, phenomenon? Or is that competitors being jealous of the person who's number one? Little trash talk. I don't know. Probably, probably, I would say 50-50 because you know that was her incredible, her incredible year. But yeah. I have to say, like you know, maybe I'm a prude. Maybe I'm like an old-fashioned person. I don't know. I, I and I do own that. But it's still, I still can't get with the fact that 
in beach volleyball, and I have covered beach volleyball too, and I've spoken to you know professional beach volleyball women who say, I'm perfectly comfortable playing in the bikini top and the bikini bottom. It does not bother me that my uniform is 180 you know, degrees different than the guys who to me look like they just showed up from like an all night frat party and decided to, oh gosh, I have to like play a volleyball match now. I don't well, I, really understand like why that continues. Help me, Mary, help me get sure. through this. <laughs> it's connected to the Flojo incident. Women conform because it's the best way for them to get through the, the process. Hmm. If a woman pushes against the rules, when, when what she wants to do is win, if a woman just wants to play volleyball and good at volleyball and, and win at volleyball and excel, why would she also take on the system? Because women who take on the system stick out. Changing their nails and being extravagant or changing the uniform uh, puts you in a, in a rough position. Being the first one to sound the alarm puts you in a tough, tough position. If a person just wants to play, why would she... Why would she try to take it on? Also, women are raised in the same system as men. And so women can be just as patriarchal as any guy ever. Sometimes the people who are policing women's bodies are, are, are women just as men. I mean, it's a societal thing. Patriarchy is not something that men have. Patriarch is a system in which women are held to be below men. And men and women both exist in that system. So an interesting study, um, some folks were looking at Facebook pictures and the Facebook pictures of athletes and the primary photo that they used on their Facebook uh, profile picture. And those pictures really um, reflected societal ideas about what men and women are supposed to do. Men chose photographs of themselves doing things, punching things, hitting balls, dribbling, doing something. Men are supposed to be active, agentic, get things done. The women still chose photographs that made them look sexy and pretty. Maybe not necessarily action shots, not sweating, not making a basket, but holding a pose and making themselves look pretty. Hmm. Why would they do that? Because thousands of years of societal expectations and messages told them that that is how they're valued. But women are pushing back, Mary, and I'm really, I'm really pleased to to see this, hear it, read about it. Uh, Team USA soccer legend Brianna Scurry, she famously said about uniforms. I'm guessing she's referring to soccer uniforms, but maybe all. "Quote: You should feel like a superhero in it, the uniform, because you're representing in a very special, positive, and powerful way." I I love that, and I think that that. You know, that speaks for any uniform. You know, who has agency, should have agency over the uniforms? Should be the athlete them, themselves, not the patriarchy, not the matriarchy, possibly the sports governing body, because there does need to be some measure of control for e equality and, you know, fairness. You obviously don't want a uniform that's going to, for a man or a woman, that's going to give you an unfair advantage. But I still can't see how playing in like dental floss is giving anybody an advantage. Sorry, I keep harping on that, but it's really it's really stuck in my craw. Um, like one other example, um, I think we had I sent you a, a link to this was um, 
was with the ski jumping outfits. Um, and apparently there is very strict re regulation for men and women um, about ski jumping outfits, about the underwear they can wear underneath. And this is for all kinds of aerodynamic and technical reasons. But the women were saying they, they were making them put additional padding around their, their hips so that the uniforms could look more feminine. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, not only is this like aesthetically wrong, but this is this is creating more aerodynamic drag for for the women. It's adding panning where you need something slim and aerodynamic. And I can't yeah. remember what actually happened with that. Have you followed that story? I, I believe that the end of the story was that the um, governing body decided they didn't have to do that anymore. And they were taking it out. I, I think like that that was the close of that story. But again, it's it's because so you've got our gym outfits where nobody was paying to watch us play. It was important just to mark us as women, but we weren't supposed to be comfortable. Nobody cares. If, like that one of the problems of this is that people don't care whether or not women are comfortable or whether or not women are winning. The 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 deciding factor is do the women look good in order to play to a largely male audience for sports. As more and more women are appreciating the athletic achievements of other women and watching women's sports, then women are getting more power to push back against the ski outfits, to push back against those handball outfits. We're expecting an awful lot of people to change their attitudes in two generations. <laughs> you, know, you think back against the... Um, uh, as you continue this uh, project, I would urge you to go to the handbook for the Women's Softball League from the 1940s, the League of Their Own. So the League of Their Own website actually has their handbook about how they're supposed to take care of their hygiene and what they're supposed to wear in terms of lipstick and what they're supposed to wear in terms of uh, deodorant. I mean, it, it's intense what these women went through, but they all they wanted to do is play ball. All they wanted to do was enjoy themselves and be athletes and enjoy the heat of the game. But they had to adhere to societal expectations of what a woman is supposed to look like. And you and I have lived through two generations, really, of because I'm 60. And if you're 63, you know, we lived through the establishment of Title IX, which changed an awful lot of expectations to, to expect people in two generations to undo thousands and thousands of years of expecting women to look a particular way, uh, walk the line between being ladylike and being overly ladylike, don't want to be trashy, got to look pretty, but can't look trashy. Wow. I mean, I, you're, you're upset and dismayed about the volleyball outfits and so am I, but really, we really actually have come a long way in terms of what women are doing for one another on the field. I'm really glad to hear that. By the way, I'm wearing a sports bra as we're recording this, <laughs> just so you know, just so you know. <laughs> I think that's one of it has definitely been the, the greatest invention of the like 21st century is it's, the sports bra for women. Thank you, deal. God. It's it is a next, huge deal. It's a big deal. And then ne the next thing is pockets. <laughs> Okay. So how do pockets empower people? Well, pockets give you your hands free. Pockets allow you to move through life and be agentic. You know, again, I'm using, that's a PhD word. I'm sorry. You know, it's like 
men are supposed to get things done, right? So, and that's the, the PhD for word that is agentic. But they're, they're supposed to be able to be active and, and throw a punch at any minute uh, and, and get things done. So they need their hands free. Women don't get pockets because we're supposed to be smooth and our silhouette is supposed to be curvy with no extra bumps of a wallet. So we don't get pockets. Yeah, but we, we have a purse them. and I can like whack, them. I can whack someone with the purse, <laughs> just so you know. But Merritt, Merit, let's, let's just last but not least, last but not least, kind of like summing, summing everything up here. Um, we know that for, for women athletes, you know, wearing what some say are quote unquote provocative athletes is, is a really slippery slope that's led to women athletes being trolled and having their images circulated on the internet with headlines like, this is a legit one, please don't Google this listeners. Um, hottest female Olympian doesn't expect a medal in Javelin in London. You know, and, and this is from, this is from Yahoo Sports. This isn't from like cameltoeathletes.com. Um, like, can we ever catch, as women athletes, can we ever catch a break? We're either like in a gym suit or in a sports bra. We're either like, you know, too staid or too sexy. Like, is there any middle path to this, Mary Bach? The middle path, I think that the middle path would be women being able to be comfortable and to be able to win and to be able to support one another uh, in ways that don't expect them to adhere to some sort of stereotypical expectation. And here would be my challenge to all of your listeners, is that the next time you feel like watching a sporting event, tune into a women's event. Buy a ticket to the women's team at your local college. Buy a ticket to your local high school women's team. Attend women's sports, get into women's sports, enjoy watching women do well, run fast, hit hard. Because the more that we can gather a large audience to women's sports, then the more power the athletes will have, and then the more power they will have over their own image. That's what's gonna change it. Mary Bach, thank you so very, very much for being a guest on The Bounce. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's always a pleasure. I really think that this podcast is important. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Bounce, sports talk with a spin. The Bounce is hosted and produced by me, Jill Yesko. The podcast is distributed by your public studios. New episodes of The Bounce will be released the third Thursday of the month. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. Learn more about The Bounce at wypr.org backslash studios.